reading from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 7 through 12. For the secret power of lawlessness, lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming, the coming of lawless, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that they will all be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. Thank you, Kevin, and all the others who did their reading as well. Uh, I'm not sure that you were able to step with those readings, but they had to do with you and I uh, standing up and being strong for the Lord and standing firm in the truth. And so today, um, that's what we're going to talk about. Second Thessalonians in your Bible, uh, chapter 2, where Kevin ended up reading. The problem there with the people in Thessalonica was that they had received a letter uh, supposedly from Paul, but Paul's writing them and saying, I did not write you this letter, but you're being deceived because the letter said that Jesus had already come back. And the people were distraught, and they were worried, and they were suffering. You know, we think sometimes that we suffer here in the United States. We really haven't began to suffer for our faith. You may have been laughed or mocked or ridiculed for believing in Christ, but you haven't really suffered for doing so. These people were suffering for it. They were losing their life. They were losing jobs. They were losing family and friends. They were undergoing severe oppression and rejection from society. The Roman emperor was chasing them down and killing them left and right. And then they heard in a letter that Jesus had already come back. And so Paul writes to them and says he won't come back. And he uses the word the day of the Lord the day that Christ stands on the earth again, not the rapture, okay, but the day of the Lord, it won't happen until the apostasy uh, takes place. Amen. And that apostasy is something that you've probably learned about in the church in the past. Uh, that word translated there in verse 3, apostasy, is really uh, a little bit confusing because we think of apostasy as uh, people turning away from the truth. And it is mentioned like that in Timothy, but here in Thessalonians, that's not the actual Greek word. The Greek word here means that people will turn away from associating with you. Amen. It means that people won't have anything to do with the church anymore. That people will be able to walk away from the church People will be able to walk away from things that they have held dear in their life. For instance, the gospel. 
I've been pastoring for 26 years now, and I, I've seen tens, if not hundreds, of people come and go. Come and go. Some might last a year. Some might last a month. Some might last five years. But I've seen them come and I've seen them go. Now what's up with that? We shouldn't be surprised. I bet you know someone just like that. That came and, and, and was involved in the church. They might have even been serving in the church. But now they're not in church. Now they quit the church now they're even critical of christians now they don't hold dear to themselves the things they once professed to believe what's happened you and i shouldn't be surprised about that jesus mentioned that in the parable of the sower and the seed he said the word of god the seed fell on the road in rocky soil and it sprang up quickly but because it had no root, it withered and it died out Amen. and it produced no fruit. We see people like that, don't we? They come and they go. Amen. They receive the word. I think Jesus even described it as they received the word with joy. They were glad to hear the gospel and the salvation of God. But because they had no root, they withered and they died. He went on to say that some of that seed fell among the thorns and the thistles, the weeds. And he says, but the weeds grew and choked out the word. What is that describing? He said, the cares and the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this word or world choked out the word. And therefore, they did not continue. They died out. Don't be surprised when people come and go. So these people now are worried about Christ coming and leaving them behind. And Paul writes to them, no, it won't happen until this apostasy happens, this turning away from the church, the association with people, with believers and now today, you and I are seeing that. Amen? We're experiencing that in churches everywhere. Amen. We see people come. They come to the front of the altar. They get saved, quote unquote. They get in the baptistry. And then they go out the back door never to return. Amen. What's happened? What's going on? Prophecy. Jesus said it would be like that. Don't be surprised that it's happening. Be aware of the time we're living in of how it's happening. Now, what happened to these people? Well, Kevin read it, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Let's start where he uh, left off there in verse 11. And for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. Now look at verse 13, and let's all stand for verse 13. Okay? What happened here? These people turned away. Why? Because they did not believe 
the truth. All right, verse 13, but. Okay, let's pray. Father, bless your word today in our heart and in this place. Father, speak to every person that is in this building today. Change our lives, Lord. Help us to see your kingdom. Help us to live towards it. Help us to love you, Lord. Help us to understand your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated, okay? But, that's a beautiful word in Scripture, is it not? That's a beautiful term. God says, here's what's happened to the unbelieving In the last days, there will be a deluding influence placed upon them so that they will believe what is false, what is not true, but. Okay, that means there's another group. I hope you're in the second group. Let's find out. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, Because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. The first group didn't receive or believe the truth. The second group has faith in the truth and received it and believed it. So let's talk about this truth. What are some truths that this second group of people has received? All right, let's look at those a little closer. Number one, verse 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord. The greatest, I believe, statement in the Bible is this. God exists. Okay? Right on its heels is this statement. God loves you. Unconditionally, he did not have to love you. He chose to love you. For God so loved the world. God chooses to love you. He doesn't choose to love you because you are special or pretty or strong or tall or short. God didn't choose to love you for any reason Other than He chose to love you. You are not chosen because you're lovable. Now, I might disagree with that. I might say you're lovable. But God doesn't love you because you're lovable. God loves you because He is loving. Because He is lovable. 1 John tells us that God is love. God chose to love you. That's a truth that you need to get a hold of this morning and hold fast to it, that God loves you. He's not loving you because of who you are. He's loving you because of who He is. Here's what He said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31. The Lord appeared to him from afar and said, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. What kind of love is that? Here's the way Jesus described his father's love for you. He said, if a man had a hundred sheep and one of them was lost, he would leave the 99 and go and look for the one that was lost. That's the kind of love 
that God has for you. In that same chapter in Luke 15, the famous story about the prodigal son and the young man went to his father and said, give me my portion of the inheritance. And regretfully, the father did so. The son went out and blew it and wound up feeding pigs. And when he came to his senses in the story, he looked and he said, my father's servants eat better than I'm eating. I will go home and see if I can serve in my father's house. And on his way home, his father every day was looking for his son. Every day he would look for his son. And one day he saw his son returning. And the Bible says that the father ran to the son and greeted him and put his ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and clean clothes on his body. That's the kind of love that God has for you. You might feel like the lost sheep today. You might be the prodigal child that needs to come home. God loves you. He's not against you. He is for you. On our Wednesday night Bible study, we went through the book of Hosea. What a picture of God's love. God told Hosea the prophet, go and marry this woman. And he did, and she gave him children. And then she left him and deserted her family and became a prostitute in the streets. And she was sold from one man to another and to another, and she became a slave in the sex trade of Hosea's day. You know what God said? He said, go buy her. You take your money and you go buy that woman back. And you bring her into your house and you give her dignity and you restore her to purity and you give her life again. That's what Hosea did. He went and bought his wife back and he did just that. That's how much God loves you. We don't deserve that love. All of us have broken His commands. All of us have deserted Him. All of us have played the prostitute with Him. But He loves you, and He wants you back. That is a truth that the second group believes. Okay? The second thing I want you to see is in the same verse, verse 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation. Now we get to dabble in this word that we're all afraid of, election. Did God choose you to be saved and not choose others to be saved? Did God pick some to go to hell and God pick some to go to heaven? Okay, we don't want to believe that, but we read that in the text. We read that in certain places that God is sovereign over those things. What we have to come to realize is, which came first, the chicken or the egg? Which came first in the election of God? Did He choose you and then you believed, or did you believe and He chose you? I'm not going to 
help you to figure that out. That's something you have to do on your own. I believe that God calls us, we believe, and we're chosen. Okay? Many are called, few are chosen. But let's look at that again. To be chosen, this word means to be rescued. We're all on the path of hell. We're all heading to that destination. And God rescues us from that. He says there that He's chosen you from the beginning. Your Bible might say He's chosen you as first fruits. Right? When is the beginning? The beginning of time? Is it the beginning of the church age? Is it the beginning of the gospel message? That's when I believe it's referring to. The first fruits of the gospel, the beginning of the gospel call upon mankind to receive Jesus Christ. I believe that's what he's referring to as the beginning, chosen from the beginning of that call upon God. If I was chosen or not chosen, I dispute that personally. Why? Is because in verse 12 it says there, that they did not believe the truth. It says in verse 13, but you believed the truth. So, what's the uh, decision there? Am I worth choosing? Of course I'm not worth choosing. But God wants me to know that He loves me and He presents the gospel message out into the world. And here a guy believes it, and there a woman believes it, and there a child believes it. And one by one by one by one, the gospel is fulfilled in the people that are now chosen to be God's family. Amen? Amen? I want you to hear what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 8. The Lord did not set His love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the people's. For you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which He swore to your fathers. Did you hear that? God loves you and because of a promise that He made to Abraham and to His children and to their children and to their children. That the decision about the kingdom of God would boil down to the promise by faith. Isaac had two boys, Jacob and Esau. Jacob believed God. Esau did not. Jacob believed truth. Esau did not. Abraham was promised that the promise would be by faith in God, not the fulfilling of the Uh, way of man. Remember, Abraham tried to have a child, right, out of wedlock. He had Hagar, his wife's handmaid. She had a son named Ishmael. God said, that's not the fulfilling of the promise. The fulfilling of the promise is by faith in you believing in my word and you believing in me. The first group did not receive the truth, but the second group had faith in the truth. If you believe in God and you want 
to be in His kingdom, you are chosen. If you don't believe in God and you don't want to be in the kingdom and you don't want to have anything to do with God, you're not chosen. Do you see that? Why would God give men something they don't want? For 34 years, I didn't want God. I believed in Him. I never was against Him, but I certainly didn't want Him operating in my life. I was the king of me. I was the one who made my decisions. I was the one who did what I wanted to do. And at 34 years old, I bent my knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I asked Him to forgive me, and I made Him my Lord. You see, I was chosen because I wanted Him. I needed Him. The gospel goes out to every man, but not every man believes it. And not every man receives it. They're the first group. The ones who receive it and believe it, they're the second group. God loves you and God has chosen you. Let's look at one more point that we need to cover about the truth that God is showing us. Verse 14. Look at that with me. And it was for this He called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, he's not talking about you getting stage presence here. He's not talking about you becoming prominent or recognizable or have any kind of authority or any kind of position. That's not the glory of God that he's referring to. Well, Brother Clay, what is he referring to? He's referring to us being united with him. John 17, verse 22 says this, And Jesus said, And the glory which thou hast given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, just as we are one. Jesus wants you to have His glory. You will have that glorified body one day. But now today, as a believer, you have the glory of God upon you. And you shine in a dark world. You are salt in a tasteless society. You preserve life. You enhance life. You are to be that. You are to live that. That's a promise that's been given us. That's a privilege that we all have. And that's something that we need to take seriously. To be united together as one brings glory to God and glory to His church. So, the three truths, you're loved by God, you're chosen by God, and you have the glory of Christ on you today, if you are a believer walking with Him. Now, let's go on. Look at verse 15. The first two words, so then. Alright? If these things in 13 or 14 are real and happening to you, so then. Here's what you need to do. If you're loved by God and you know it, if you're chosen by God and you know it, and if you have the glory of Christ in your life and you realize that and know it, then here's what you need to do. Verse 15, So then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or by letter from us. Remember, they got a letter saying Christ had already come. So now Paul's reminding them, hang on to what you had at the beginning. Hang on to what you were taught 
at the very beginning and stand firm upon it. To stand firm, that phrase is used 15 times in the Bible itself. You and I are to stand firm in a reckless and wayward society. Man, our society is tumbling head over heels to destruction. In case you haven't noticed, let me tell you. All right? We're going down the tubes as a society morally. Amen? We hope it gets better. The Bible says it won't. The Bible says evil increases towards the end of time. And so we're seeing that played out. In the greatest country in the world, we're seeing morality going down the tubes. That's the last straw, in my opinion, before the camel's back is broken. When this country wastes away morally and we're headed there now, you and I are called to stand firm. To stand firm in a reckless society. We are called to stand upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ. We sang a song earlier. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus. Amen. My hope is built on that solid rock. We are to stand against the lawless one that they read about earlier. This lawless one who's going to come. Who's going to show himself. He's not Satan. He's Satan's cohort. He's the Antichrist. He's going to show up one day. We are to stand firm against that influence now. Now. Don't compromise truth. Because it will help you get along with your family. Don't compromise the truth because it will help you out on your job. Don't compromise the truth or bend it or break it for your advancement. Stand on it. Don't bend. Don't break. You're going to be talked about because of that. You might lose that job because of that. So be it. Stand firm at the end. We need that today. You'll be criticized by people. Stand firm. You will be rejected by people. Stand firm. You will be ostracized. You will be outcast by people. Stand firm. Even if you are alone, stand firm. Paul says... You know you're loved, you know you're chosen, and you've got the glory of Christ on you. Stand firm. Stand on your feet. There's a great Christian song today out about the fire of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the young lady singing it says, there's another in the fire. You're not alone. Jesus is with you. There's a verse in Proverbs that says, There is one who sticks closer than a brother. You are not alone. You need to realize that. Stand firm where you are. The second part of verse 15 says this, Hold to the traditions which you were taught. Okay? Hold to the traditions. What is this? The transmission of truth from one generation to the next. Before it was by word-to-word communication. Now we have God's Scripture, God's Holy Bible, and we all have them in our homes. But you know what? They're probably dust-covered 
in most of our homes. The number one best-selling book of all time is the Bible, but it is also the less read book of all time. Read your Bible. Understand what God is trying to tell you. It's not enough just to know the truth. You must hold to the truth. Okay? You must live that truth. Jesus said this in Revelation 2. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. Again in Revelation 3. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have in order that no one take your crown What is this that I'm to hold fast? The authoritative teaching of Scripture. Amen? Amen? Today, if a guy can bring something across to you that's brand new in religion, man, it draws a crowd. Something new. Something God has just brought out to us and and revealed to us, and I have it. How many of you have seen the, the false guys on the internet saying that they're prophets and, and that this is dream and I had this dream and all of this stuff? You remember a few months ago I was telling you about a guy from Kentucky, right? Doing all of the dreaming and he had the dreams about the UN taking over the United States in November of 2020. And I, my brother called me and he was freaking out because it was real, it was going to happen. And I said, Jeff, calm down. I said, listen. The only way we're going to know if it's real and this guy is genuine is if in November it happens. Well, did it happen? No, it didn't happen. So what does that mean? The Bible says that guy's a false prophet. Don't listen to that. We've got everything we need to know about God and from God right here in the text. In fact, he's not going to speak to us anymore about new things until Jesus stands on the earth. Okay? Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to us through the prophets, but today, He speaks to us through His Son. There is no more new. So when a guy comes to you and he says, he's got something new, you better just tune him out. Because there is nothing new. We've got all that we need right here. So what do I do? I hold on to this. I hold on to the traditions that I have been taught, the authoritative teachings of Scripture. 1 John chapter 2 says this, As for you, see that what you heard from the beginning remains in you. If what you heard from the beginning remains in you, you also will remain in the Son and the Father. Okay? So hang on to those traditions, those authoritative teachings from Scripture, hang on to those. Hang on to them fast. There's nothing new coming out. Stand firm and hang on to that. Stand firm under pressure. Hold fast the word of truth. Now, does that happen spontaneously? No. I have to consciously, in my mind and in my heart, make a decision that I will stand. Right? So when that onslaught comes, the decision has already been made. Because if I wait until it comes, I'll be overwhelmed and I'll give in. I'll be surrounded and I'll give up. But if I make that determination beforehand in my heart and my life that I'm going to stand for God, 
then whatever comes my way, I am prepared. Amen? Think about it. Do that. Make that conscious decision in your heart. Be prepared. I need that strength. I need supernatural strength. Well, let's read on in verse 16. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope, by grace, comfort and strengthen your hearts in every good work and word. The Father's not expecting you to stand alone. He is with you. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He is at your side. In fact, He is leading the way, and we are following. Do not expect to stand alone. Do not expect to stand without resources. You've got all the resources you need right here. In fact, the day of your salvation, you were gifted with spiritual gifts. Do you know what they are? Do you know what gifts you possess? If you don't, that's your fault. It's not the preacher or the Sunday school teacher or anyone else in your life to, sh- to tell you or show you your spiritual gifts. I can show you a list of spiritual gifts, but I can't tell you which ones God's given you. You must discover that. Don't be of the group that comes and goes. Don't be of the seed planted in the thorns. Don't be of the seed planted in the weeds. Don't be of the seed planted on the road and the birds came and ate the word in your life. Be the seed, be, be the receiver of the seed that was planted in good soil and it produced fruit. God doesn't want you to stand alone. He gives you resources. He gives you power. He gives you strength. He gives you himself. Who is it that stands firm in the days like we're facing today? The one who holds to the truth of the word. That's the one who stands firm. The one who is loved. The one who is chosen. The one who is not looking back. Today, you might be the prodigal son. Jennifer, why don't you go get ready? Okay? You might be the prodigal child. You might be the lost sheep. You might be the lost coin. You know you need to come home. Today is your opportunity. Right now, God's calling you. Right now, He wants you to serve. Think how serious this moment is for everyone in this room. If you have no intentions of letting God be in charge of you, You are not chosen. God will not give you something you don't want. But if you want God to be God in your life, and you want God to love you and forgive you, then you're chosen. But you've got to make the move. He's not going to pull you out of that pew. He's not going to force you to let go of the back of the pew in front of you. He's going to call you by love, simply calling you by love, and you must respond to that. I challenge you today, let the Lord be the Lord. Surrender to Him. Start living life again. Come home or meet Him anew for the first time. The choice is yours today. Brother John, would you come and meet?
someone who comes forward, and I'm going to go get ready. Stephen's going to lead us in a song. Let's all stand together, okay? Let's stand together, and you come as Stephen leads.